Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Scripture reading this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. But before we hear the reading of God's Word, let us go before Him and pray, seeking His blessing. Father God, you tell us that these are the very words of God, the imperishable seed by which we have been born again, the pure spiritual milk by which we grow up in our salvation. And so we come before you this morning humbly asking for the grace we need to receive them as they really are, as the very words of God. Don't allow us to harden our hearts, Father, but give us receptive hearts, hearts of faith and, and love and hope to receive your word and to bring forth its fruit in our life to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. This is the very word of God. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. I think for most of us, by this point, these are probably some of the most familiar verses in all of Hebrews. These are the verses that you have heard me pronounce as a benediction at the end of the service, ever since I started preaching through this book. And so whether you knew the blessing was from this book or not, you have heard these words spoken almost every Sunday for the past year and a half. But I wonder if we have allowed our hearts to grow dull to the profound significance of receiving this blessing week after week after week. I wonder if we have allowed our, our hearts to crave a, a different, what we mistakenly think of as a better blessing. It wouldn't be the first time that God's people had exchanged the, the fountain of living water for a broken cistern. We, we know the, the stories, the Old Testament people of God had the Lord God Almighty, the, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies, the God who, who does all things according to the counsel of His own will, they had the Almighty to lead them into battle. And yet, so often, when enemies threatened, they would turn to one of the military superpowers of the day, looking for protection and, and deliverance, rather than turning to the Almighty God. They sought the blessing of military strength rather than the God of peace. And in times of peace, they said they had the maker of heaven and earth, the God who will, as we've heard this morning, make all things new, the God who sends the rains in their season, who brings forth an abundant harvest. They, they had the Lord God Almighty to bless them. And yet, they would seek the blessing of Baal, to guarantee their harvest and to guarantee their provision. Time and again, the Old Testament people of God grew contemptuous of God's blessing 
and they set their hearts on some other blessing, some other blessing that they wrongly deemed more desirable. And I wonder if we have not sometimes done the same thing. Ask yourself, for whose blessing does your heart long? In this extraordinary season of of disease and of financial hardship and of social isolation, whose blessing would set your heart at ease? Is your hope that the federal government will, will pass the right unemployment benefits or the, or the right stimulus package? Is your, is your hope that your employer will make enough profit to, to stay in business so that you don't lose your job and that you'll be employed through this difficult season? Is your hope that the local authorities will follow the right course of action, whether you think that right course is, is opening everything up and letting people make their own decisions or, or shutting everything down and forcing people to wear masks? Is your hope that our scientists and, and medical professionals will develop a vaccine that effectively ends the threat so that we can finally return to normal? Where is your hope? Is your hope in the the princes and authorities of this world? Or is your hope in the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, the God who by the blood of the eternal covenant equips his people with everything good that they may do his will? And this present evil age, as Paul calls it, it is all too easy for us to lose sight of the profound significance of this blessing. It is all too easy for us to to let our eyes wander and settle on some other gift that we deem more desirable. And so this morning, I want us to pause to consider these words that we have heard so often for the last year and a half. I I want us to, to at least begin to consider the immeasurable value of this blessing and of receiving this blessing week after week after week. May our hearts not grow contemptuous through familiarity, but may we stand in awe at the good gift that our God has given us through Jesus Christ. And I want this morning to begin simply by looking at who that God is. Who is this God who blesses us? Next week we'll look in more detail at the blessing itself. But this this morning I just simply want to ask, who is this God whose blessing is ours in Christ? And of course the first thing that we see about God is that He is the the God of peace. The God of of peace. What what does the author mean when he uses that title? Obviously, he is speaking about some peace that is connected to to Jesus' resurrection. It's, It's why he says that he is the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. But what is this peace that is connected to Jesus' resurrection? If you scan through the Scriptures, you will see that Scripture actually connects four types of peace with Jesus' death. And resurrection. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to jump around a little bit this morning, so just be prepared. But turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. These are familiar verses, and they're verses that we have probably turned to um, a time and again throughout this difficult season. But in these verses, the, 
uh, Paul tells us about a, a personal peace, a, a peace in our hearts. Notice what he says. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the first peace that, that we see connected to Jesus' resurrection is this, this personal peace, this, this freedom from anxiety and worry and, and fear. We are small and weak, and in, in this present evil age, with, with powers all around us that, that threaten us, we can know peace. We can know freedom from anxiety. We can, we can know freedom from fear because the Lord is at hand. This is the peace of God, and it is a peace that can rule in our hearts even when there seems to be no real reason for peace. Externally, we, we look around and all we see is turmoil, all we see is threat, and yet... God says, my peace can be yours, a freedom from anxiety. But the, the peace that we have in Christ, the, the peace of God is not merely this freedom from anxiety. There's, a, there's another type of peace. Flip just a couple of books back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at, at verse 13. Paul is speaking to the Ephesians. He's, he's reminding them that, that they who, are, who used to be far off have now been brought near in Christ Jesus. And, and this is what he says. He says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Who, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Paul is talking about that dividing wall that, that used to separate Jews from Gentiles, that, that dividing wall that used to say, these are, the, these are the people of God and everyone else is on the outside. The, the, the dividing wall that divided mankind into two separate groups. I would contend that, that the division that he is talking about here is a division that has been multiplied throughout human history. Yes, there was a division between Jews and, and everyone else. But how often do we make ourselves the in-crowd and everyone else outsiders? And that sort of division brings with it turmoil and, and hostility. James says, what is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not your own selfish desires you desire and do not have, therefore you go to war with one another? It is, it is the selfish desire for, for your own advancement, for your own interest, for the, for the blessing of your group that leads to, to fights and to quarrels and Paul tells us that the dividing wall between man and man has been broken down in Christ because now in him we are all one people. We have been united in Christ. And so in Christ there is now a, a new unity, a new oneness for all those who believe in him. All those who believe in him are the children of God, members of, of one family. Even as we will come later to the communion table, to, to sit together as one family and to eat and to drink. To celebrate a new oneness 
doesn't mean that everyone will always live at peace with you. Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 12 when he says, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. There will be times when others simply will not live at peace with you, but you no longer have a hostility towards others because they are now in Christ, your brothers and sisters. And so there is a new interpersonal peace. But as we've seen already, that interpersonal peace, the, the peace that we have in ourselves, the peace that we have with others, those, peace, those pieces, if I may say that, are, are based upon an even greater peace, the peace that we now have with God. Keep turning back in the New Testament, this time to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, notice what Paul says. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that, that formerly we were God's enemies. In Colossians, he says that there was hostility between us. We were at enmity with him, and he was at enmity with us. We were enemies. We were at war. We were children of wrath. And yet, in Christ, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. There is no longer any hostility. The enmity has been put away. We have been reconciled to our God. He is now for us. He is now working all things together for our good. This is the peace of God that we enjoy we now have peace with our Maker. But even this isn't the full picture. Turn back now to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, at the very end of the chapter, Paul paints an even bigger picture. He's praying that the Ephesians might have their eyes open to all the blessings that are theirs in Christ. And in the course of that prayer, he says this. He says, uh, We desire that you might, your eyes might be open to the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Admittedly, Paul doesn't use the word peace in that passage, but the imagery is there. It is, it is a picture of the world put right, of the kingdom established, of God's shalom come, because the king has been enthroned. All powers and rulers and authorities who would, who would protest against God, who would wage their, who would rat, uh, wag their, their fist in God's face and said, we will not be ruled by you. Every power and authority rebellious to the throne has been subdued. The world has been put right. This is the cosmic peace that God brings when he makes all things new. And it is a peace which we do not yet see in full, but it is a peace that has been secured by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Remember the words we saw earlier in the book of Hebrews. The, the author reminds us we do not yet see all things in submission, but we see him 
seated at the right hand of God the Father. And if he has been raised, and if he has been enthroned, and if he now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, then we can know that he will not fail to bring to completion the good work that he has begun. We can know that in his resurrection power, all things will be made new. The sea will be no more. We heard that in our call to worship this morning. I think whenever my wife hears that, she, she weeps a little bit. She loves to, to go to the beach. What is this image of the, the sea being no more? Why would they have no more beaches? I don't think it's, it's meant to be taken literally, but you have to remember that, that from the beginning, the sea represented chaos. The, re, the sea represented creation unsubdued. And what God is telling us is that all chaos, all disorder, it will all be finished. It will all be no more. The sea will be no more. All things will be brought to order. All things will be subdued to the proper rule of Jesus Christ. That is the cosmic peace that is coming. And so when the scriptures speak about the peace of God, they are sometimes speaking about this cosmic peace. They are, they are sometimes speaking about the, the peace between man and God. They are, they are sometimes speaking about the peace between man and man. They're sometimes speaking about the peace that simply we enjoy in the midst of tumultuous circumstances, that, that personal, internal peace. And so we have to ask ourselves, which peace does the author have in mind here when he calls God the God of peace? I want to suggest to you that we don't have to choose. We don't have to think that he has only one peace in mind. We don't have to, to, to narrow our vision. Because these pieces are, are interrelated. They are all aspects of the same divine peace. Through Jesus' resurrection, we have peace with God. We, we see that at the very end of, of Romans chapter 4. How is it that we have been justified by faith through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead who was raised for our justification? Christ died for our sins and rose again that we might be justified. And having been justified, the record of debt that was against us has now been removed. Our, our sins have been taken away as far as east is from west. We are now righteous in God's sight. We have peace with Him. And because we have peace with Him, we are heirs of the coming kingdom of peace. The kingdom of, of peace and, and righteousness that God will establish on earth. That, that kingdom that will fill the earth as, as the waters fill the sea. The kingdom that is coming, it is ours because we have been justified. And because the kingdom is ours, because all of God's goodness is at our disposal, we are now free from personal worry and anxiety. We do not have to fear. What can the world do to us? They may kill the body, but they can do no more. Our good is eternally secure. And because we have this freedom from personal worry, from personal fear, from personal anxiety, we can now live at peace with our neighbors. The, the selfish uh, instinct that, that, that spurs us into fights and quarrels with one another can be put down because we have nothing to worry about. Because our good is eternally secure, we are free to, to risk our lives and, and to devote our resources to the interests of others. You see, these pieces, they, they cannot be separated. They are all part of the same peace which is ours in Christ 
through the maker of heaven and earth. And it is this God who brings this all-encompassing peace who offers us his blessing. This is why it is such a big deal to to receive the benediction at the end of a worship service. It's, It's why it's such a big deal that we are sent out week after week after week with the blessing of the God of peace. Now, I know there's, there's some debate about what a, a benediction actually is. There, there are some who, who see the benediction uh, as, as merely a prayer, as merely the author here, or as, or as the pastor uh, speaking over the congregation, as merely praying, asking God that he would bless these people. And if that were true, the benediction would still be a big deal, because remember what we saw last Sunday. Our prayers are powerful. Our prayers are effective. God uses our prayers to to accomplish His purposes. And so even if the benediction is is merely a prayer, it is still a a profound blessing. But I want to suggest to you that the benediction is not merely a prayer. It is a blessing. It is God's blessing pronounced and received. We, We see this all the way back in the Old Testament when God first gives His priests the blessing to announce over His people. He says says to Aaron, this is the blessing that you will pronounce. This is the blessing that you will give. And when Aaron spoke the words of that blessing, when he said, may the Lord bless you and keep you, may the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, May he uh, turn to you his face of favor and give you his peace. When Aaron pronounced that blessing, he was blessing the people. And it is that same blessing that the New Testament authors take up again and again. They, They modify the words here and there, but again and again. It is a blessing of grace and peace. That the people of God receive in the benediction. And so I want to suggest to you that when we receive the benediction at the end of a service, we are not merely asking God to do something. We are doing something that God has authorized us to do. God has said, this is the blessing that belongs to my people. And so we receive that blessing in actuality when the benediction is pronounced. When you come to worship, when you gather in his name, when you sit under his word, when you sing his praises, you leave with the blessing of the God of peace. The God who will bring cosmic peace to his entire creation. The the God who has made peace between you and him. The God who has given you freedom from all fear and anxiety. The God who has given you peace with your neighbor. And so let me ask you, if such a blessing is yours, what other blessing do you need? What other blessing do you crave? We all know it sort of at a Sunday school level. Yes, this is the blessing that we're supposed to want. This is the blessing that is better than all other blessings. But do we really live this truth out? Do we really live as if this blessing is the only blessing we need? This blessing that is ours in Christ. Do we really believe that in it, We have everything we need. As I said, the Old Testament people of God had this blessing. And yet again and again and again, they turned to look for other blessings. They they turned their back on the fountain of living water. 
and dug for themselves broken cisterns that could hold no water. And I wonder how often we do the same thing. As the people of God, we need to be reminded that this is the blessing that is ours, and this is the blessing that we need. We need to be reminded that, that the blessing of men are not the blessings that can ultimately secure our good. Yes, God works through means, and yes, we ought to pray that our medical professionals will find a vaccine. Yes, we ought to pray that our, our political leaders will make wise decisions. Yes, we ought to pray that the economy will recover. That is a prayer for daily bread. Those are good things to pray. But our hope is not set upon our political leaders. Our hope is not set upon our, our medical professionals. Our hope is in the God of peace who works all things according to the counsel of his will and who will work all things together for the good of those who love him. But how do we know that? How do we know that the blessing of the God of peace is truly ours? It's exactly that little phrase that we've been hinting around. It is this God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. If you know yourself very well at all, you know that, that God's blessing is not yours because you've earned it. There may be those seasons when we think we're doing pretty well, and in those, those moments when we're, where we're blind to our sinfulness and, and fixated upon our, our goodness, we may, we may feel that somehow we deserve God's blessing. But if our confidence rests upon our own goodness, it will not last very long. It will not last when we lose our temper with our children or when we are, are tempted to, to do something that we know we ought not to do and, and give in all too easily. We know our own sinfulness. We know the ways that we fall short of what He demands and when we see our failures, our confidence will fail if it rests upon our own goodness. So how can we know that God's blessing is truly and securely ours? How can we know that the God of peace is for us? It is because He brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Remember what Jesus said about good shepherds. Who is the good shepherd? The good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. And that is what Jesus came to do. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to lay down his life for the sake of his people so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He is the good shepherd. He laid down his life. And because he was the innocent victim, the righteous one who died for the unrighteous, God raised him up again, and in his vindication is our eternal hope. Death could not hold him because it had no claim on him, and because he rose again from the dead, we now know that all who put their hope in him will likewise rise. His vindication will be our vindication because his righteousness is ours through faith. 
And because we believe in the one who died for us, because we believe in the one who gave his life as the ransom for our own, we can know with an absolute confidence that the blessing of the peace of God is ours. Not because we deserve it, but because it has been purchased on our behalf, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Personal peace can be ours because we are in the risen Savior. Peace with our neighbors can be ours because we are in our risen Savior. Peace with God is ours because we are in our risen Savior. And one day, the peace of the kingdom will be ours in full because we are in our risen Savior and in Him we will rise again to inherit the coming kingdom of God. And because such a hope is ours, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we rejoice in your goodness. We thank you for the amazing hope that is ours in Christ. Father, forgive us for the ways that we let our eyes drift to other blessings. Forgive us for the ways that we set our hearts on other hopes. And by your grace, train us to set our eyes on you, the God of peace, and to set our hope on your blessing, which is ours through the great shepherd of the sheep, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray and for his name's sake. Amen.